Welcome to Chapter 3 of HealthSystemCIO.com's CMIO Roundtable Discussion. In this segment, the panelists talk about the challenge in guiding physicians forward when they feel they've taken a step backwards, why the CIO and CMIO truly need to be best friends, and the qualities they believe CMIOs must demonstrate to ensure success in the future. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvada the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at improvata.com. And George, based on your experience, does, does that sound uh, about right, just as far as that evolution that the role has seen? Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything Brian said. I think uh, um, the role traditionally has been maybe more hospital-focused, and or you know if it was a large uh, physician practice group then it would be ambulatory focused but there there was this division and now um, the successful CMIO really is working the transitions the transitions of care are are where the real opportunities are for to do harm or to to be inefficient or to to add real value and and uh, really make a difference for patients' lives and and uh, and clinicians' lives I think the other area that I see successful CMIOs have a real active part in is, is analytics. And this is going to become even more important with, with the shift from volume to value. Being able to, to not just implement decision support tools, but actually demonstrate that the decision support tools you're, you're implementing have the desired outcomes. And it needs to be about outcomes as opposed to process, which is uh, traditionally, where we kind of focus, did did we check this box? Did we did we measure this uh, this laboratory test? Uh, now it needs to be much more about the the health and well-being of, of our patients. Um, right. So, uh, the successful CMIOs have an active piece, or maybe maybe in some places actually have the analytics group reporting up to them because it, it's so important that as they work through these these uh, transitions, that they're they're measuring the impact they're having. Right. And Stan, does that seem like that's been kind of your experience with seeing uh, a little bit of more of a role in that analytics arena? Uh, you know, for us, this is a, it's deja vu. In other words, we had a very rich legacy system, and all the things that people are talking about now are things that we've done for over 10 years yeah. in terms of the whole scope of the organization of data analytics, of implementing uh, clinical decision support, and, and verifying that we're changing outcomes and improving the quality of care that we provide. And we actually took a step back uh, as we went to Cerner because we don't have that same rich uh, set of applications yet back in place. And so I agree with everything that's said. It, in our case, it's sort of like the back to the future thing. The environment people are describing now is something that, that we were – riding the crest of for the last 10 years and then for the last three years while we've been installing Cerner, that part has sort of been on hold. And now we want to get back to all of those things that we were doing in terms of, of population health analytics, support for accountable care organizations, really listening to clinicians to know how we can optimize workflows, working on advanced decision support that, that improves patient care all of those things. And so I, I couldn't agree more, but in our case, it's sort of getting back to the future. It's not the first time we've been there, 
it's getting back to that place now with a new environment, with a new platform that we're working with. I can imagine that that would be a difficult thing to deal with as, as a leader, with, with helping people to not think, oh, no, no, we're not taking steps backwards, and <laughs> that's what it probably feels like. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I, I mean, and I don't want to paint it too dark in a sense. Installing Cerner, we got new functionality that we didn't have, but, but it right. was certainly a trade-off. There were things that we could do in the past that are more difficult to do now. And I think we're in an interesting situation in that the clinicians clearly understood the importance of, of getting the new system installed. I think, though, that there's going to be pent-up uh, demand because they've been sort of taking one for the team while we get this new thing installed, and the time is going to come, and, 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 and really is now where they're saying, okay, we've been good soldiers, we've shouldered you know, some, some new responsibility in, in getting this installed, and we've changed some workflows to accommodate that. Now can we get back to doing things that really help us? And so we're going to have a challenge getting their satisfaction back given our new situation. Yeah, that definitely does sound like a, like a challenge. It's interesting. I was doing some, some research for this and looking at uh, what some of the the uh, recruiters and consultants have said about, about the CMIO role, and that magic innovation word keeps popping up, and everybody <laughs> likes to talk about it, but what does that actually mean in, in terms of, of your role? I'm sure it really depends on so many factors, including where the organization is with certain projects and, and, and what exactly that means, but how do you view innovation as part of your role and, and trying to, to foster that? Well, I can sort of kick it off. Um, when I think of innovation, there's different types of innovation. Uh, you can think of it as sort of that organizational creativity, as many of our uh, panelists have already talked about, figuring out how we can create our care teams so that we do redistribute the work. And that's more just plain old creativity. Um, but then there's innovation when it comes to um, analytics and um, how do we use data and new tools, developing new tools that just haven't been invented before. And so that one area where um, I found that I've got a lot of access to a lot of data. Um, most of our researchers, our um, faculty members, don't necessarily have as uh, much access to the, the data. I know where to get it. I know who to ask. And so partnering with um, some of our data scientists on the other side of the river, being part of an academic medical center, we have the School of Business, we have a School of Public Health, both of which um, heavily trained um, in data science. And so being able to partner with uh, some of our data scientists from other disciplines to, one, be, just be a conduit to where data is um, and being that bit of a, a business analyst that actually knows what these data elements actually mean and how they're helping them create new tools for operational efficiency, operational improvement, um, whether it's new algorithms and analytics for, uh, say, a sepsis. I mean, everyone seems to have a sepsis algorithm these days. But right. how about instead of just sepsis, but um, operation? Um, how do we understand our variation by uh, using some of the new big data um, network analyses or machine learning algorithms? Or for that matter, on a more practical level, so that's sort of AI and big data kind of stuff where I'm not a data scientist, but I can partner really well with them and help ask lots of questions. So I have a lot of questions of the data as well. Um, and then on a, 
the clinical decision support, and that too is an area where there's a lot of innovation on how do we share what we've built. So many of our organizations have been um, investing heavily in developing our own knowledge assets. Um, and now that we've developed them and they've been working well within our environment, is there an opportunity to share that in a commercial way uh, with other healthcare systems that have similar questions um, but may not have the resource or expertise or understanding of the, the EMR tool to build it themselves? Uh, so, you know, is there a, a marketplace for, say, BPAs or uh, right. other kind of uh, sets of, of uh, knowledge assets? Okay. That's a, I like how you put that into the, the different buckets, which we really need to do when it comes to something as broad as, as innovation, but really breaking it down into more practically you know, what that means for your role. Um, anybody else want to share any type of uh, perspectives on that? Sure. I have to admit, sometimes sounding like a bit of a Luddite on this subject, because all of the things Maya mentioned, particularly with relationship to the analytics and data scientists, I couldn't agree more with. But that said, I think sometimes people focus on the bright and shiny object, the cool new, new toy, the in-home monitoring kind of activities, and they miss the bigger picture. And I would argue the bigger picture is that so much of what I don't think anybody would really consider to be innovation is simply adopting best practices that the, that the innovators have already done. You know, whether it's open notes or it's using the patient portal, and I hate that term, but people on the, you know, the website that, that the patients use to access their information, actually yeah. using that to reach patients in a, in a meaningful way and, and connect with them and communicate with them as opposed to push out laboratories three days after you get them kind of thing. Um, yeah. All these things are things that are already available, and for the vast majority of organizations, they're, they're, they're just scratching the surface of what they could do with existing technologies as opposed to inventing new technologies. Yeah, that's really well said. And I, I think that, that talking about the portal, that could be a whole other discussion, just uh, oh, yeah. that, that area. Yeah, the whole, the whole subject of patient engagement, you know, the, the, yeah. that we're so good at getting the people who, who know how to use their smartphone and their apps and their Apple Watches mm -hmm. and whatever. problem is those aren't the people with four different chronic health care problems that, that really – need the help, and, and we need far simpler, far more patient-friendly ways to reach those people. Yeah. Right. You get into to factors like connectivity, too, which is uh, taken for yep. granted when you're in certain areas. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we're kind of uh, nearing the end, so I just wanted to see if anybody else had any thoughts, and I know I throw out very broad <laughs> general questions, but just, just really on what do you believe are the, the characteristics that, that CMIOs are going to need to possess going forward? And I know we've touched on it in some of the conversations, but what do you really think are, are the important attributes to have as we go forward in this industry? I'll take a, a first shot at that. Well, you know, one is just good interpersonal skills uh, because mm -hmm. so much of this role is change management. Uh, and helping people deal with change, and sometimes figuring out a, a good way to deliver bad news. You know, uh, there's a lot of, of skills, but a lot of it really comes down to being able to communicate well, uh, no matter what the situation is. As I look at uh, who my um, associate CMIOs are, um, a lot of times people come to me, well, this guy is you know, really uh, computer savvy. Uh, but when you talk to him, uh, you know, he can uh, barely talk his way out of a, a wet paper bag, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's not the person that I need. I'd rather have somebody with good interpersonal skills, kind of a, a good foundation of, uh, of a leader 
and teach them the technical side of things, I can't train somebody with interpersonal skills. And so that's really what I look for the most in my team. Um, I don't know what others have to say about that, but that's, uh, that's kind of uh, my approach yeah. to things. I can, I can train the technology much easier than I can yeah. train interpersonal skills. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, uh, emotional IQ, communication skills, those are the critical things. I, the, other, the other thing, I, the, the ability to build relationships and maintain relationships across a broad set of stakeholders is critical. Yep. The power base of the CMIO is the medical staff. If they've got your back, you have real authority and real influence in the organization. If they don't feel you've got their back, then you're, you're, you're nowhere. The other side is, is your CIO, the IT side. That needs to be your best friend. Um, and, I, and I say exactly the same thing on the opposite side when I'm talking to CIOs. If you don't have a strong relationship with your clinician leaders, your, with your CMIO, your CNIO, you're nowhere because as, as the role is evolving, it really is about providing healthcare. That's the business we're in. We're not in the business of providing PCs. Hmm. This is Stan. Those things came to my mind, and the only other thing I would add is that, at least in a large organization like Intermountain Healthcare, this CMIO is is playing a role that that in other organizations would be almost like a CEO, in the sense that they have to be aware of all of the business issues related to this, to be concerned about strategic planning, about budgeting, uh, of large budgets, uh, of a lot of people that uh, need to be organized, and the ability to delegate responsibility so that you don't become a bottleneck for progress in the organization. Uh, so it's all about you know the skills that people have talked about, all, all of the skills of being essentially a good leader and, and being effective in communicating with those around you and being able to delegate and and manage. Right. And on top of that, of course, all of those things, um, as well as resilience, I think the ability to bounce back because there is always going to be some naysayer or critic or um, some catastrophe uh, that is going to require sort of a cool, calm, level-headed approach. Um, And if you can regulate those emotions and be resilient, uh, then I think it really helps to, to be that more of a rock and less of a, of a, a rock that sinks, <laughs> a nice stable source. Right. But that means yeah. taking care of yourself. So I think we all need to take care of ourselves and make yeah. sure that we're, you know, have those healthy habits that we're hoping to emulate for our teams as well as for our peer physicians. Yeah, very good point. All right. Well, I think that, that that about wraps it up. Um, I could definitely speak to all of you guys longer because there's, there's so, much, um, so much to talk about. But I really appreciate this. I think that the, it's been really interesting for me, and I think that this is a perspective that, that our readers really will benefit from. So thank you so much. Um, you, made this, you all made this really easy for me. So um, I appreciate it, and um, I will definitely be in touch with everyone soon. Great. Perfect. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Great. Thanks again yeah. so much, everyone. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.